You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole. Uh, I'm just so excited to be here. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week, the keeper of keys for the 602 Club, our own Christy Morris. Hello. I actually requested we talk about this this time, and I'm really excited to see what you think of this one and everybody else. Yeah, me too. Me too. You know, I remember when this came out last year on Netflix and it was just one of those things. You know, we kind of live in this age of television and content. There's just so much, you know, mm-hmm. and so um but we have nothing but time right now as in where we are in the world. Uh, you know, with so many of us having to stay home more often and everything like that. So you know, um, I'm really glad that we got around to talking about this. We're going to be talking about Lock and Key from Netflix, its first season, and really excited to get into it. But before we do, we just want to say thank you for joining us. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do give us a star rating review. Let people know what you think of the show. Make sure you're subscribed as well wherever you're getting your podcasts, because um, that way you'll get the show as soon as it drops. You can find us on Twitter at TrackFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrackFM. You can also uh, find us over at Trek.FM where you can get over to the contact section and you can send Christy and I an email. Or we've got the listeners only discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference where you can talk to listeners from all over the world. And then last but not least, want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Thank you so much for supporting the show through Patreon and being associate producers. Like our associate producers, they know that uh, to keep everything coming to you here on the Trek FM network, not just the 602 Club, but the entire network, uh, we need your help. And so you can join us over on Patreon. Uh, a little bit a month makes all the difference. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash trekfm so you, you can be part of the team. There are some great contribution levels you can give at to get extra perks. But again, honestly, every little bit helps. And again, you can find that over at Patreon dot com slash trek fm chrissy i didn't have this on the outline but i did want to ask you because uh this is based off a comic series and i wondered had you read this comic series at all uh, before you saw the show no um and actually it's interesting that i hadn't because this was at a time when my resurgence happened with reading comics again um but yeah i never heard about it so the first that i saw about this comic series or anything was when it appeared on netflix what about yeah, you i'm yeah i'm the same way you know um i i i feel like somewhere in the back of my mind i knew that this is a comic series you know i worked at barnes and noble uh during this time and so i'm sure that i probably even saw it um but i was not reading uh this type of comic then i was just really starting to get into my uh you know, superhero phase of comics. 
and mm-hmm. uh, I was reading some Star Wars comics at the time too. So I, I wasn't really diving into anything else. So I didn't realize this was a comic. Um, but the most interesting thing to me in this um, is that th- there's a real we talked about development hell last week but the i mean there's a, they needed to find the right development key to make this work because they'd been trying to make this work uh for a really long time and so it starts off as a comic in 2008 and uh, they have about a 37 issue run and then they have like a, a special run of like five other issues i think that kind of add some short stories if i was reading correctly and then in 2010 they were going to develop this as a TV series for Fox, and they, uh, in conjunction with DreamWorks and 20th Century Television, um, they got Alex Kurtzman and Bob Orsi, uh, who you know uh, have obviously had a big impact on the Star Trek universe. Um, you know, because of 2009, Kurtzman is also working with uh, Star Trek Now, uh, with Star Trek Discovery, and Star Trek Picard. Uh, they casted this pilot. They had people like Miranda Otto, who was um, in uh, the Lord of the Rings films, uh, Jesse McCarthy, other people, big names, Nick Stahl. <laughs> Gosh, he, he was in Terminator 3. Um, so they order the pilot, but uh, and they actually screened it at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, but they don't actually put this into series, which, you know, Wow, I mean, to have your pilot screen at San Diego Comic Con, but then have this series go nowhere—that's crazy. Yeah, that to me was a really big eye opener into just how bad the development hell was for this. Because, I mean, thinking about how embarrassing that might be, as well, of uh, they're really gung ho about this so much that they're finally showing it publicly at such a big event. And then to have it just drop again. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, and it's not unprecedented for this to happen. But, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and then by 2014, uh, at San Diego Comic Con, they announced that they were going to do this as a feature film trilogy with Universal Pictures, where Kurtzman and Ortsy were expected to be associate producers. And, mm-hmm. well... That doesn't pan out. So if we've learned anything from uh, the development key for this series, it's not to announce something at San Diego Comic-Con. Or to announce anything until you've got some more legwork going on that really, I don't know, like how you would 100% be certain before you put it out there. But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, this does happen to other things, but this is a little bit funny that it keeps happening Um, Mm -hmm. by 2016. They announced that it's going to be a TV series. By 2017, it's going to be on Hulu. And then by 2018, it's moved to Netflix, which we know comes to fruition because we're talking about the Netflix season here. So, yeah. And I'm sure the creators are going, finally, good yeah, Lord. Thank you, maker. <laughs> you know, uh, well, and it's really interesting too because get um, somebody that I'm, I'm, you know, very familiar with actually uh, just because of their, their other work. Uh, Carlton Cruz, you know, he's done uh, Lost, which I know him for. I know he did Bates Motel, which I don't, 
I never watched, but he also did uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, which we've covered here on the on the Six of Two Club. So, uh, mm-hmm. him being here with Lock and Key, I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, th- I, it's interesting to see his name in the credits because I I know this guy, uh, and and it actually made me uh, really excited. And uh, some of the executive producers that we have on the show are actually Joe Hill, who was responsible for the comic. Um, so, uh, him and Gabriel Rodriguez were, were both, um, writers of the comic. So the fact that he was going to be on the show, you know, I, I wonder if that was part of it is that they finally were able to just find the right people behind the scenes to really make this work. And not only that, but I mean, Netflix seems to be, you know, a place where people can work. I mean, and, and it makes sense why they would want this type of show to happen because, As I was watching it, I was realizing, you know, this feels like it has enough of that, um, you know, the the Stranger Things-ness to it because it's kind of got the supernatural magic, you know, got it weird, you know, you're not quite pigeonhole it into one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so, I mean, this just seems like it finally found the right fit with Netflix. Yeah, I agree, especially with Netflix having done some similar things like Stranger Things um, and kind of building on that genre in what they offer as Netflix originals. I think that this was a natural fit at this point. Um, and I mean, I'm glad to get to see more shows like this. I don't know why the publicity wasn't better for Lock and Key, even as the comic, but I, I think that it deserves more attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is something where I was interested to to go back now maybe and read the comic just to see what differences there are. And, you know, it one of the things that I again I liked about the development of this is that you do have the actual creator of the comic helping produce the show. And so right. that even the the fact that they changed the name of the town uh from from what it was, which uh in the comic it's uh Lovecraft Massachusetts. They changed it in honor of uh, an author and screenwriter, Richard Matheson, for the series instead. So that was something that the the um, you know the creator of the comic decided that he wanted to do. So those kind of things, like you know, I, again, I just think you you kind of you get the right people behind it, and sometimes that just means having the original people behind it. Mm-hmm. And then hearing that though, that that not all of this stuff is just lock stock and barrel from the comic like they're just not porting everything over one for one but they're making some changes so that there is some difference i think is smart too because you know a lot of authors do that you know with gone girl the the movie version is different than the book end uh and and the the person who wrote the book also wrote the movie and did it on purpose so that people wouldn't just come in knowing what happened because that mm-hmm. sometimes is pretty boring so again, I think, you know, it, it seems like Netflix allowed them to really maybe start to think about some of these things. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't ha- I hate to give it away, but I think that this turned out to be a really good show. Yeah. So I, I did want to hit on two in particular, since the town originally was named Lovecraft Obviously, for those of you that don't know, it was, you know, in honor of H.P. Lovecraft, who told these kind of horror, mystery, supernatural stories and cre- created Cthulhu, the character, um, and really like to explore things like that about um, 
what the human condition might consist of in a, an alternate reality. Um, and so I, I'm kind of predisposed to liking that kind of story anyway, since I lean into that a lot with stuff like stranger things. So this really was right up my alley as far as the topic. I think just flipping through things that were available on Netflix, it came across at first as more of a supernatural but teen love story. And so I think that's what turned me off at first and made me hesitant. But I'm glad that I watched it. Yeah, you know, I think that's really interesting because you know one of the things that I... I mean, I didn't really know too much coming into this. I had just seen it be on Netflix. I don't even know if mm-hmm. I had watched the trailer. But then you're like, hey, let's do this show. I watch it and I think you'd be really good to talk about. It. And I was like, okay. Um, but what, so kind of coming in, not really knowing much or really seeing much. One of the things I was really surprised with this show is the way that it keys into the mystery. It's really keying into the mystery of the show. Um, from the very beginning. And the best thing for me about this show is absolutely the way that it builds the mystery from, for every episode. Yes. I get so tired of watching Netflix series, and, and you and I have even talked about some of them, where two episodes maybe in the middle, you're like, if you condensed all that, you could have disseminated all that information into other episodes and made this like a six-episode series instead mm-hmm. of eight or ten, you know. And this, my wife and I keep kept talking about it. Like it was always keeping our attention. It was always building on the story. The characters were never boring and the episodes were always keeping me engaged. And that's something that I think in serialized television, it's so important to parse out whatever mystery you're trying to solve throughout your season in a way that makes every episode feel like it's necessary like mm-hmm. uh, that we're not wasting your time with 40 or 50 minutes where the television and i this show nailed it to me like i was really shocked because all netflix shows i i expect the middle to get lo- like really saggy yeah and just like boring and this one i never had that feeling and i was shocked i was so glad to hear that because especially since i was the one that suggested it <laughs> I didn't know what you would think. But yeah, I think that they do this great formula with this show in particular of toward the end of every episode, reintroducing a new question. And so then that creates your desire to see the next episode and get into that binging pattern of, well, now I have to know what that's about. So we'll finish it. Well, and and on, I mean, on top of that, uh, and we'll kind of get into bigger detail on like the entire mystery of the season, but I think just the way that they parsed out the mystery of not only what's going on in the present, but the way that this is impacted by the past and kind of building that all together because the show does a great job of, uh, you know, this whole mystery of the family moving from Seattle to Massachusetts back to this you know, mansion called Key House mm-hmm. in Matheson, Massachusetts. And you get the sense like it's not this a place that um, this the their father who has died who has been killed and his brother who's still alive and um, comes in and out of the show every once in a while um, that this is a house that they really liked like this is a place that they 
even want to be around anymore. And so mm-hmm. there's this mystery about that. And then we continue to build in the mystery of why the husband got killed, but also how that's actually connected to the past when he was a kid and yeah. what's going on now. And so every episode is parsing out the different information that you need to keep you interested. And like you said, Christy, raising a new question or two new questions Mm -hmm. that the episodes do a great job of not only subsequently there for answering throughout the episodes, but doing a great job of actually answering enough questions each episode so that you feel like they're rewarding you for watching each episode instead of it being like, again, why am I watching this episode? There was nothing in that, that episode that helped me with any of the mysteries and this doesn't do any of that. It actually does what a show that serialized is, is supposed to do, which is to make each episode an important piece of the puzzle that they're putting together. Because really, this show is perfectly named in Lock and Key, but also I, I this show feels like you're putting a puzzle together, Mm-hmm. But you don't quite know what the picture is because you don't know all the context from the past that'll help you see more clearly what's going on. And so it's kind of like blind puzzling, you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. But it's it's enjoyable the whole time. And again, I just I keep praising the same thing. But with these type of shows that we're getting now, I feel like. If a show does it right, we need to stand up and say, bravo, you know, like, yeah, I, I think that your puzzle analogy is the perfect way to explain it. Because, yeah, it's like you haven't seen the top of the box to know what you're supposed to be getting. And then they're introducing all of these interesting new pieces to the story, like that there's all of these different keys. And then you're learning about what each of them do. And then at the same time about the past of these people and how, you know, I we all love how we've said before in other episodes, how they toss you into this, the action in the beginning of the first episode without giving you a bunch of background story to bring you in first. They just immediately show that there's a guy who is committing suicide with the matchstick key. And you're going, whoa. <laughs> I think it's, it's the perfect way to structure it as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think you're absolutely right with that. And, and I, again, um, yeah, I would say of the Netflix shows that I've seen, just to kind of give a comparison for people, uh, I would say, you know, Stranger Things season one, Daredevil season one, and probably Punisher season one are the only shows where I was really watching the entire season and just felt like engaged really the whole time and feeling like there wasn't f- fat in the middle. Yeah. this This show didn't feel like flabby like at any uh, which, point that there was unnecessary information yes, yes and you mentioned and i think this is really a key i didn't even mean to do that <laughs> sorry uh, but i think this is really important is that you know there is the romance part of this you know the teenage romance thing but i i didn't feel like to me that the show the the romance key didn't overpower all the rest of the keys to this show yeah. How did you feel about that? Because, you know, sometimes you watch these, like, it can get too soap opery, but I-, I felt like it was just enough. Yeah, I felt like the 
the romance aspect took a backseat to telling more about the family um, and then about just in general being high school students and trying to get through what that brings to your life, much less all of this other supernatural stuff going on in their lives. So, yeah, it ended up being just the right amount of teen romance drama to the rest of the mystery going on. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I, I, you know, you, if you're going to make a show with teenagers, there's obviously going to be some of that, but I, it yeah. didn't feel overly obnoxious. And I would say, uh, that, you know, with, with the specific characters, like I, I'll just mention like a uh, Tyler Locke and his, his, um, you know, relationship that he kind of slowly builds throughout the season. It felt more realistic uh, in the sense that, like, it felt like the relationship of somebody who, you know, he's just had his dad die. He's yeah. struggling, you know, the struggles he's having, you know. So those, again, those kind of things, I feel like they did a good job of of not just making it ultra tropey, but they actually, I felt like, really built with the characters that they had in the story that they're telling. Mm-hmm. So that the drama that comes from teenage relationships was also being driven by the story that we're telling and what we're putting these characters through as in moving across the country, having your dad shot in front of you, all of those kind of things, you know, from a person that you thought was a friend, like all right. of that stuff, you know, and then being thrown into a magical house with magical keys, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you put all that in a blender you would expect you know there to be some trauma <laughs> and a brother you can't keep track of exactly, exactly. Bodie, man he's a pain <laughs> oh man well so i think it's probably a good opportunity for us to kind of talk about the keeper of the keys uh mm-hmm. and no i'm not talking about the keeper of the keys and grounds at hogwarts i'm talking about the keeper of the keys and lock and key at key house and uh it's interesting because immediately darby statchfield as nina i'm like i know who she is because i watched the first season of scandal mm-hmm. and she's one of the main characters in scandal and i really like her and i thought she did a phenomenal job in the episodes especially when we started to play with the fact that she started drinking again and her doing the yeah. mood swings, I thought she was really good. Um, but I also thought that she was really good as a woman who's trying to keep it all together for three kids and she's suffering the loss of a husband, you know, in the way, I mean, literally happens right in front of her. So mm-hmm. I thought that um, she really added a lot of gravitas. You know, she's very likable. Um, and especially I thought by the end of the season, it was really um, where they were kind of taking her relationship with the um, the detective mm-hmm. from the police force, you know, was just really nice. So I, I thought she did a great job. Especially I feel like with her um, dealing with this whole, drinking issue it really came across to me that you can't exactly tell if it's the drinking that's causing her like forgetfulness and confusion or if it's her having gone into the mirror key world oh yeah because you know they're all thinking about well mom's acting kind of weird since that happened in particular weirder than she usually has been so i like that aspect that they added to her and i think was intentional um 
but yeah, I think absolutely this show deals more than anything with how people deal with loss and trauma and how all of them are dealing with their dad's and her husband's death differently. And she especially plays such a great role in this show showing that like, it's not just about what it meant to the kids. She's lost her partner, the the other person that helped her take care of the house and the kids and also just made her feel safe. And so I think that that really comes across with her performance. And I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and it was interesting. Uh, one of the things I, uh, is we're kind of talking about her as a character. You know, I, I wanted to ask you about the, something around adults and magic in this world, because obviously Ellie knows what magic is mm-hmm. uh, and she remembers it. And, I, and it seemed strange to my wife and I that that the kids kept assuming that Nina would not be able to remember magic. Um, And so I, maybe that's just something that w- I don't know enough about how this world works. And then, of course, she was able to start remembering it a little bit once the drinking started. So do you think that they were trying to say that basically adults just put up mental blocks that have to be broken down and like, you know, drinking makes you unencumbered mm-hmm. by a, a lot of, um, you know, uh, you can you can break down walls very quickly when you're drinking, uh, you know, that you wouldn't normally break down. Mm-hmm. So I, that was such something that I struggled with a little bit with her character in the storyline. I was like, why are the kids just assuming that if they don't tell their mom and maybe show her some things like that she'll remember? I think personally that it was more because... It's. It seemed like they were insinuating to me that once you lose your childlike innocence, that that's when you're no longer believing in general that magic is possible. But I do see your point, too, that it could also be the uh, being unencumbered, letting your inhibitions and your judgment down and being mm-hmm. willing to accept things that are a little more outlandish, I guess. Yeah, it was just something that I'm I'm interested to see how they deal with maybe in the second season because I feel like they're going to need their mom to know. Mm-hmm. And so it and you know whereas it was completely different for like say their their uh uh uncle and brother-in-law her brother-in-law mm-hmm. whereas you know he had actually had his memories taken away from him. And so for him to even look at those memories because they've literally been taking out of him, he doesn't quite, you know, like he can't really quite comprehend what he's seeing. Whereas her, right. you know, like she puts the, you know, the mug in and she knows that it got fixed, you know, from the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the repair key, which like how awesome is that? Totally want that. But oh, it, you brought up something I meant to say when you said that, though, about the cabinet. When she went to think that she could put their dad in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it breaks my heart. Yeah, that was rough. And then you're also thinking, oh, no, if this is like the echo situation, don't do it. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no we don't want that. So. No. No. Uh, it, so I, I think I do think that there are, there are some things that I wish maybe were slightly more explained. And, and I would say, you know, kind of thinking th- with specifically Nina uh, in that storyline with her. 
I felt like maybe the, one of the things this this uh, season needed a little more on was a was a better understanding of the way that this works, mm-hmm. so that you don't you know keep asking questions. Um, and and they were able to actually use that to their benefit in the end because not quite understanding how the identity key worked allowed me to have a hard time figuring out exactly how that happened at the very very end. You know. Yeah. Because we didn't know if the identity key could do that. Can you force an I- another identity on somebody? I didn't know until the very end, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but um, I think my favorite character in the show was actually Connor Jessup as, as Tyler. Um, I thought it was really interesting the way that they played the older brother who is struggling with what it means to be the man of the house now, feeling mm-hmm. like he has to have more responsibility. He's trying to take care of his mother, especially when she starts drinking again. He knows it. His sister, who has literally taken her fear out of her bo- out of her mind and is acting irrationally much of the time. And like you said, Bodhi, who he's super cute and wonderful, but... He's also worried about trying to, you know, take care of his younger brother and keep him out of trouble. Yeah. And so, and deal with the fact, you know, of like liking a girl and and trying to maybe be somebody different because he legitimately in this season kind of goes from being the jock jerk to being somebody who is willing to stand on his own two feet and find out who he wants to be and not just what the it crowd wants you to be. And so, like, he had to play all of that in one season, and I was really impressed by the way that he played all of that. Like, I just really was. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. He wasn't my favorite. I'll get to it later, but... um he was my second favorite because he shows so much growth. And this actor did such a great job showing that change of Tyler really being a very selfish person. And then also dealing with the loss of his father and how that affected his ability to be able to move on at all and even want things anymore. You know, it feels like they get to this point where they're all very numb because they don't know how to move forward without their dad. And I like that he gets that across and shows that then you go through these stages of like anger and acceptance and then finally moving on. I think he was really strong as an actor and then also as a character. Um, And I love that you get to see him finally becoming the leader of the group and, you know, showing his sister how to be a better person and that, trying to take the fear out of her body and kill it was a stupid decision. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. I mean, he really does kind of go from being comfortably numb, you know, like trying to numb all of his pain by like Mm -hmm. getting back into hockey, hanging out with it crowd, partying, all those type of things to being encouraged to become his own person, you know, and it's one of the the things I love about um, the teacher in the show who, who kind of, encourages him and kind of pushes him towards being a better person and i I thought um again he does such a great job with playing all that and and i think giving it it nuance you know Mm -hmm. like i I, and and not just making it feel routine or boring or any of those things so i you know i i really enjoyed that um and i think you know 
his his younger ki- sister played by Amelia Jones uh as Kinsey Locke uh is she was really good too because you know I, I liked the way that she played the decision you know to get rid of her fear and then the way that impacts her personality mm-hmm. and the way that she played the growth of realizing in, uh, on her own how dumb of a decision that was yeah um because that's not an easy thing to do especially when you've taken out the very thing to which you know makes you uh you know take pause and and think through um and uh, things and so i thought she did a great job and again like so far as we're just talking about these people like they're all so enjoyable and likable on screen and i think she just adds to that so I will add, she was a little disappointing to me sometimes, just um, the actress's performance, because I felt like, although they are supposed to be playing sometimes very numb characters, that she could have been more expressive in her facial expressions and um, her, you know, tone and volume of her speech. Like it just came across very one note to me sometimes and a little frustrating because I felt like she should have been more emotive than she was. But I think overall it was pretty good. And I, I do think that she did an excellent job with those episodes about dealing with her fear and showing the difference in a person when they're without it. You know, I mean, it basically takes away even that hesitance to do something that might be risky. Mm -hmm. And so that came across really well. Yeah, what you were saying, I was thinking of that that was actually maybe a, I, I took that as a choice that they were making, that they kind of took away some of that ability because she doesn't actually have the ability to be as emotive mm-hmm. because part of who she is, like p- part of like sadness and all of those things has to do with, you know, fear inside of you. And because mm-hmm. she doesn't have that, like she literally lacks the ability to be able to play things more emotively like because there is only one there are only a few emotions than you have because you can't play scared as as well or any of those things because you don't actually have that inside of you anymore yeah so i don't know I, that's that's interesting i'll be interested to see how she grows then in season two so. yeah but i do like the route that they took the character in general with kenzie being the daring one who, you know, is taking the keys and using them against her bully at school. And Tyler is going, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, again, too, that one of the things that I really liked about that is that with her storyline and with, like, you know, she's kind of being pulled in different directions. You know, she's got Scott. She's got Gabe. You Mm -hmm. know, she's got these two men on either side. And in many ways... It's almost like she has a shoulder angel and shoulder devil. You know, Gabe is kind of pushing her to be more the fearless one. And Scott is the one who's kind of pushing her towards, you know, being the true version of herself. I think Scott really yeah. likes the real, uh, you know, the, the real Kenzie Locke. Mm-hmm. Well, the real Kenzie Locke, please stand up. <laughs> um, but she can't because she has lost the ability to be the true Kenzie because she doesn't have her fear. Yeah. Uh, and so and and Gabe kind of is the one who really kind of n- continues to nudge her uh, in that direction and being, uh, you know, I would say more reckless. Mm-hmm. 
So, and obviously we'll know the consequences of that um, as we talk some more about uh, the the entire mystery. But yeah, yeah. I, Jackson Robert though, or Jackson Robert Scott as as Bodie Locke, when he was like when the the two other siblings are arguing at the breakfast table and he grabs the bacon and he pulls it towards him and he goes, Hey, no arguing in front of the bacon. <laughs> like, oh, he is adorable. He's yeah. so adorable. And I loved that, you know, they played him as smart, but also only as a smart for his age, really in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't make him too smart. And, I just, he's a great actor. He, and I really enjoyed his screen presence. Like every time he's on screen, he's kind of magnetic. And when he's hanging out with Rufus, it's so adorable. The fact that his lightsaber, his, uh, you know, rainbow lightsaber actually uh, plays a part in, si- in quote unquote saving the day at the end of the season mm-hmm. was awesome, mainly because he, you know, he's he's been able to figure out how these keys work, right? And so... I just really liked him. He's so cute. Like, when you think of like wanting to have like a child, a, a little boy child, this is kind of like you're, what you're hoping your kid turns out like. Yeah. It, so I'll tell you right now, he was my favorite character of this whole season. I feel like they played him excellently. Like you're saying, you know, that he wasn't too smart for his age. Um, but he was really interesting because he had such courage for being such a young kid. And, you know, he's may make some stupid decisions also because he's young, but he really always um, seems to know what the right thing to do is. And although he's been affected just like all of them about the loss of his dad, he seems like the one who is moving on the best so far. And is, you know, at first really kind of keeping the family together. And he's the one who is exploring things with the house and finding all of the keys. And I like that they have them whisper to him um, and then him teaching his siblings about it. I really think that he just as an actor and as a character was the best part of the whole season. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think I could agree with you more. Uh, I just think... Uh, it really is beautiful, uh, the, the portrayal we get from him, and I, he's just so much fun. Like, I really have so much fun with him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was great. Um, and, and it's really interesting because, you know, too, I, I think it's it's fascinating that he's one of the reasons, you know, the he's one of the impetuses for this entire show happening because... He he's able to be seduced basically by well lady uh, Echo or Dodge or whatever you want to call her, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, and I think she does such a good job of playing somebody who's so utterly ruthless. And I started to piece together what she was, and I was I I I remember turning to my wife. I was like, I think. I think she has to be like some kind of demon because that would be the only thing that really explains why she's so evil mm-hmm. and why she has no compulsion about like pushing a kid in front of a train, which she does. Um, yeah. You know, like literally throws a kid in front of a, a subway train uh, and walks away as if nothing happened. And so I, she's phenomenal playing that. And so I, and, and 
You know, not everybody can do it in a way that feels quote unquote natural and doesn't just feel like mustache twirling, but there's so much menace in her, but so much ease with the menace. That's what's so freaking creepy about it. Yeah, I think especially the fact that she's just so resolute in it. And like you said, with the the ease of doing things like that, I think they had to show what she was capable of to show that Bodhi is in real danger. But I think that also she as an actress does such a great job with the way that she uses her face to tell the story of just keeping it so together that she's always got it under control until something sets her off and her anger takes over. I love that scene of her and Bodhi with the ring of fire. I think that it was really, really cool to have her be able to use all of the keys the way that she does. And and then the reveal at the end, especially of, uh, you know, who she really is, I think yeah. was so cool. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Um, and again, I think, you know, she just plays it so well. Um, there's some other actors and everything I think we could talk about, but I feel like it's probably a good time for us to kind of talk about the key to it all. Yeah. Because the story is really, I mean, when you get down to it, there's a lot to it. And so it really is about how the past and the present collide as Dodge or Lucas is able to trick Bodie into letting her out of the well. And she exists because Rendell Locke and his friends had found the Omega key and opened the door in the sea caves. And when they had done that, Lucas was hit by a demon bullet, as they call it, mm-hmm. and possessed. And as he's possessed, he kills three of their group before Wendell can knock him out. And they're able to trap him in the well and, you know, they they concoct this whole story about their friends drowning in the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest impetus for all of that is the fact that Ellie had returned to uh, the well house and used the echo key and returns Lucas to our world, basically. Uh, and then she's... Th- Dodge is the one who it's so complicated. It sounds complicated, but it really yeah. isn't when you're watching the show. You yeah. know, um, uh, that coincides with the fact that Dodge then tempts Sam, this kid at um, the school that Rendell works at, where his kids go to school. Um, in by telling him he's special, you know, he comes from a troubled family and she tells him all about the keys and basically seduces him into helping her find the keys at any cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and he shoots Rendell and then that's when the family moves back to Key House and everything, you know, proceeds as, as we get in the show. But like the mystery of all that. And again, we talked about earlier the way they parcel that out, like. It's a really well-constructed show, and I think part of the reason that is is that this already has great source material to pull mm-hmm. from, so they're able then, okay, how do we then parse this out into each episode and, and make it work? And I, I, again, I thought that part was really good, but just figuring out this mystery, like, 
my wife and I would turn to each other during parts of the show and we like pause it and be like, okay, I think this is what's going to happen. You know, like, right. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of fun to watch as you're trying to figure out this mystery along with the show and then see if your theories are right. Yeah. I think absolutely it, the story with Dodge and all of the different ways that, um, Lucas is able to become Dodge and then make all of these things happen is the thing that makes it turn is that the thing that makes this show so interesting and keeps you guessing and going, Oh, well, what if this caused that to happen and trying to figure out why Rendell's brother's memories are gone. All of these different pieces make it fascinating. And I think especially having the identity key and the echo key make the biggest difference in the plot. I I think that having Lucas end up becoming Dodge and then bringing additional demons out of the black door and then using the identity key to morph, like you were saying earlier, Ellie's face to look like Dodge and them to then accidentally push Ellie into the black door. (sighs) Mind blown. Yeah. Well, that's something because my wife and I were like, but because because this is one of the things where we were uh, it was things are a little fuzzy. Like, can you use the identity key to force somebody else to, you know, turn into something else? And mm-hmm. I guess I should have known that because Dodge was able to use the head key on somebody else. Right. And so you can use the keys. So I guess they really do answer that question. You don't be paying attention, Matt. Come on. <laughs> and so but I you know it just seems so implausible really and and so my thought with process had been like had she like hidden Ellie in the shadows or something with the crown and all so I was thinking something like that but then it also you know but when we got to the last episode it's like this is just too easy and then of course the reveal is is that Gabe is also Dodge like and that was all the way back in episode two where they're like, yeah, he's the new kid at school as well. And so, and he's been using that, uh, that face, you know, Dodge has been using that face to get close to Kinsey and kind mm-hmm. of like push her towards doing certain things. And so I just, that was really fascinating. And of course, the fact that then we get uh, Eden, who has been hit by the demon bullet uh, and we find out that now there are two demons in the world. There's Dodge and Eden. And so who knows what's going to happen in, in season two. Um, and of course, will they be able to get Ellie back, you know, from where whatever is behind, you know, the Omega door, which feels like some sort of awful hell. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's really cool. And I think, like you had mentioned earlier, you know, with kind of drawing off of Lovecraft and, and some of his ideas, mm-hmm. I think the show walks a really good line between feeling fun and magical and Harry Potterish, but also feeling dangerous and horrorish. Um, and in many ways, it kind of has that Stranger Things, Harry Potter vibe going for it in there, um, which it, it really works for the show. And so, um, yeah. The the key to it all, I think, was the fact that the mystery was so much fun to try and figure out as we're watching the show, mm-hmm. and that I never felt like I wasn't getting enough through each episode to make me want to continue. Yeah, I agree with you. 
Um, and we talked a little bit about this uh, as we were talking about some of the characters, but, you know, the idea of, like, trauma and loss and the importance of fear, I really appreciated that the show dealt with these things because we got to see the trauma and loss for a lot of people in the show. I mean, we got to see what it was like for Ellie, you know, and we got to kind of vicariously understand what the loss for Rendell and his, his whole set of friends was when this happened to him through Mm -hmm. them. Uh, And obviously the fact that she hadn't dealt with it very well, which leads her to do what she does with the echo key that starts this whole thing really Um, again. And, you know, then the dealing with as the entire Locke family has to deal with the loss of Rendell you know, I thought that was really well done because they each deal with it in their own way, you mm-hmm. know, um, and the just the way that that bleeds right into the other theme of the importance of fear in our lives and how fear is not necessarily a bad thing because it helps temper us. It helps stop us from doing dumb things. It helps us think yes. before uh, before we act, you know, so you put all of this together and you really see how, you know, the importance of how we deal with trauma and loss can have obviously a major impact on how we're able to handle the next things that come in our lives and what we learn in those lessons when that happens makes a huge difference on, on whether we can handle what comes next. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up too, especially about Ellie, because it's hard not to say Ellie is the problem that started the whole ball rolling in the first place, but how Ellie dealt with the loss of her boyfriend, Lucas is really the thing that then sets everything in motion and that really she needed to find a different way to move on and not go that route of, well, there's got to be a way to bring him back because I like to them using the word echo for that key because it's not that it's the same Lucas he was before, right? It's a copy. It's an echo and that there's something twisted about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that was the perfect way to kind of introduce that idea of like, it's not the same person, though. Yeah. I, and I think you talking about how Ellie dealt with her trauma, like I think the way that the, her entire friend group deals with their trauma by separating themselves from one another and uh, not being in community anymore and not really talking about what happens or talking with each other about what happens and being a support for one another by like kind of trying to compartmentalize what had happened in their childhood and just leave it in the past. Like you have to deal with things. Yeah. Part of that is actually process and talk about, and none of them really do that. And I think that's obviously the very reason why Ellie does what she does Mm -hmm. because she's never truly processed the loss of, her boyfriend from high school and that's because she can't really talk to anybody about it because they probably wouldn't believe her and the other people that she could talk to are you know not necessarily around anymore um or they don't seem to really have been there for each other in that way so Mm -hmm. again i think this is really kind of showing us the importance of having community because you juxtapose that with the way that the lock children are dealing with their what they're finding and that they bring people in 
You know, they bring in Scott. They bring in Gabe, you know, even though that turns out to be a bad idea. You know, they bring in Rufus and, and start to trust Ellie and all of, they, they, they create a community around them to help deal with this problem. And instead of trying to just deal with things for themselves, you mm-hmm. see actually even, you know, the fact that, uh, Nina reaches out and she was going to go to the meeting. Uh, and she meets the the uh, detective there, and they end up going out for coffee and having a conversation. We learn that he has been there before too when it comes to alcohol. And mm-hmm. so, you know, again, it's about finding community to help you through loss and pain. And I think, you know, you wouldn't think that this show would have some really deep themes, but this helps us see how much we need each other in times of crisis and just in general, like. You know, we all need one another. And yeah. so by cutting ourselves off, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice when we do that. So I thought that was really strong. And I liked that that was one of the prevailing themes of the series. Yeah, absolutely. That the number one thing that you need at a time like that in your life is a support network and to lean on each other. And they decided to just cut themselves all completely off and either move away or just never talk about it again. And that's not how you confront the problem (laughs) they're literally running from it so i'm glad you mentioned that yeah no it's definitely not how you deal with it (laughs) um you know the last thing i just wanted to mention you know with these type of shows i just thought the production of the show looked great Uh, i love where they filmed they actually filmed in nova scotia you know to to make it look like uh this this fictional town in in massachusetts um i thought the the CGI work was great because the house is not a real house, uh, which it, I was it, surprised to yeah, hear. Me too. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, but it looks really good. Um, you know, for the most part, again, even the, the CGI work, uh, I just didn't, I thought it was it, it worked well. Uh, and just again, the production of the show was really good. The lighting of the way they did the show, um, it actually has. Um, they did a good job of having some like. Uh, the warmth and and cold of of Massachusetts, you know, and the type of weather really doing that well, using that with the the horror aspect, you know. Mm-hmm. I I just I to me the show looked good, and you know, it, it's not the most important thing, but it definitely helps. Yeah, I think that that's the most noticeable thing about this besides the main story of loss is seeing how they used the production qualities to make it have the look it has. So I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that I noticed right off the bat, especially when they moved to Key House, that everything is very dim and old looking and creepy. And then, you know, they do alternate as well, even in some of the scenes, the heat and cold with, you know, the ring of fire, like I mentioned, or then um, with death, things being cold looking and gray and dim. Um, But I think especially when they're switching from a lot of different scenes, if you're looking at the scene of like Bodhi seeing the well lady for the first time versus then him in the ghost scene, the way that they've lit it and done everything that way gives it a more positive feeling. So I think that that's a huge aspect to this. And if it hadn't been done well, that it wouldn't have been as good of a show. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. Um, 
So I guess there's only uh, one question that I have left about the show then is uh, what do you think that you would rate Lock and Key season one? I would give it an eight out of ten. Um, I'm going to say hmm, I'm going to use a key. Which key, though? I, I think I like the head key the best. So I'm going to say eight out of ten head keys because I think that it just really has a lot of awesome elements to it that keep you interested and definitely wanting to see season two now that they've announced that's coming out. Um, and uh, I've always been into skeleton keys anyway, in general, I like the the mystery behind it. Um, and so this having all of these keys that do different things really kept me interested as well. And then all of the different human elements to the story with loss and trying to rebuild and building a community. I think it really has almost fiery on every cylinder. The only things that I mentioned that were a little bit of a drawback for me was um, Kenzie uh, as a character, I didn't love as much as the others. And I think that they could have done a little bit more with her. Um, as far as the the romantic element didn't need to be as big of an element as it was. Yeah, I, I'm going to be right there with you. I would say this is four and a half out of five everything keys or everywhere keys. I thought that key was amazing. The mm. idea that you can like put it in any lock and then open the door to anywhere that you know a door is, I thought was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So would love that key. Um, Yeah, I it, I was just really impressed with the quality of the show and the quality of the storytelling in the show and the structure of the show uh, and the way that the season itself was structured. So huge plus for me i really liked this and i hope that if you haven't watched the show and you've been listening and we spoiled it all for you go and watch it anyway Mm -hmm. Uh, if you have watched the show you know i would say man keep telling people to watch it because it's just it's just great stuff so i i'm really happy that we got a chance to to check it out and i'm hoping we get to talk about season two because there really should be a season two of this so yeah especially since they left on a cliffhanger, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, Chrissy, that does lead us to that time of the show where we give our recommendations. And I've got an awesome one this time. Yay! So I highly recommend everyone check out on Hulu a show called The Case Against Adnan Syed because um, this is actually a documentary series um, and it all started with the podcast serial that came out uh, a few years ago and um, where this person, Sarah Koenig decided to review an unsolved case where um, it was about the murder of a high school student, Heyman Lee and how her boyfriend at the time Adnan, was possibly unjustfully convicted of the crime. Um, and so actually from Sarah going back and looking at the case again, that encouraged him to get another trial, which was incredible after him being in prison for 20 years, um, that that made things um, possibly change. And so now this series on Hulu is looking at what the evidence is in the case and then um, him going through the new trial and seeing um, what the ultimate decision is determined whether or not he actually was the murderer or not. 
So I love that kind of true crime stuff. Um, but in general, I think it's a really interesting story because it does at first glance, you know, even after you've listened to the whole season of serial, leave you guessing as to whether or not it really was him and thinking, I mean, geez, if it wasn't, that's really done so much to mess up his life for someone that didn't deserve it. So anyway, I highly recommend watching the show on Hulu. Nice, nice. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, so I just recently read, and I've been slowly reading through all of the James Bond books, and I read Diamonds Are Forever, which is not a good movie, but I actually really enjoyed the book. So um, it it was... um, it was a much better book than it was movie, honestly. Um, and so I, if you're, if you're looking for a good read right now, I recommend Ian Fleming's diamonds are forever. I had a fun time reading that one and it's different than the movie in many respects, which is good. Um, and so that means you don't know the the complete story. So I, I highly enjoyed it. I, I thought it was good stuff. So hopefully You'll check it out. But uh, Christy, uh, before uh, we get out of here, where can everybody find you if they want to catch up with you online? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bespin Bell. And when I'm not doing 602 Club, I do a, a couple of other shows. I do a show with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabers and Spells. And we are hopefully on our next episode covering, like I was saying before, Harry Potter at home. And we're on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet. So I hope you'll check that out. And then I also do a, a segment called Fashion in Five on the Star Wars Report once a month about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. And you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero under the name MattRushing02. I am here on the network doing the orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I have two shows over on the Nerd Party Network. One is called Owl Post. I do that with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week. We are almost done with the Half-Blood Prince, so I um, hope you'll check that show out. I'm also doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills. Every week we're picking out a fun Star Wars topic that we've been thinking about and talking about that is a blast. So please check that out. And then last but not least, we hope to be back soon. This whole COVID thing is really... Uh, hurt our recording ability because of the way we record this show but uh, my friend Courtney and I do a show called Cinema Stories and we talk about films through the lens of faith but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear 